And now, Capital 263. The first idea is that the definition of young in Zimbabwe is rigged against young people. So I'm 32, 32 years old. If I told you I'm unmarried, would you say, oh, you're really young? <laughs> you've, got, you've got your whole life ahead of you. If I tell you I don't have children, would you say, oh, no, the world is your oyster, take your time? I'm angry, If within the same breath, I say to you, I'm running for a post in parliament. You quickly say, oh no, Fazi, you've got your whole life ahead of you. So because we've got a president that's 94, our notion of age in Zimbabwe is extremely distorted. And all of that works against us. Because I'm thinking, gosh, I'm 32. Munumkuru, munane 94 years. Fadzai Mahere's journey from concerned citizen to indignant activist to hopeful aspiring member of parliament has been fascinating to watch. She has been arrested for sitting in a park protesting bond notes. She has famously asked if former president Robert Mugabe was kidding when his government enacted the current constitution. She has interviewed politicians on This Flag Thursdays to understand the issues and raise the level of discourse. Despite being this flag's most visible member in the absence of Pastor Mawarire, she did not shy away from voicing her concerns with the inconsistencies of his leadership. Her rationale in choosing the path of legislator and public servant is a logical conclusion to the many frustrations she has given voice. Almost a year ago, Fadzai announced her candidacy for Member of Parliament representing Mount Pleasant constituency. Unsurprisingly, her campaign was named be the change. In an environment where politics has become a dirty word and an even dirtier occupation, she has faced harsh criticism for choosing politics as a means of bringing about meaningful change. How do you feel about the criticism? Obviously, I think, um, you know, it's very important that all politicians are scrutinized publicly for their sincerity of mo motive and for their plan for progress. So I think scrutiny is always a good thing, and I don't think I should ever be immune from that. Um, I do think it's important because we've been so disappointed in the past mm. that, you know, people ask the hard questions. Are you sincere? What is your plan? Do you believe you're competent? Why is it that you're doing that? And I feel that if more of that would happen, we're more likely to get uh, a better quality in as far as our politicians are concerned. So, you know, criticism is a good thing. And I also think that constructive criticism is something that I pay specific attention to because that's the only way you can grow. If you sit in, in an echo chamber of people just saying, oh, you're amazing, <laughs> you'll never develop. So, you know, I always have my ear to the ground and, you know, where I can improve, I do my best too. And I'm surrounded by a network of people who do keep me grounded and who even if they don't do it publicly are constantly criticizing me every single day <laughs> and you know that's fine when you announced your candidacy for Mount Pleasant uh, which was 12 months ago now isn't it yes. the anniversary of I your think announcement? June, June the 28th our government is asleep and our parliament has been largely incapable of representing the best interests of the citizens there are reports of parliamentarians who spend an entire year 
without saying a single word? How can we represent the concerns of citizens if we never stand up to be counted? It's against this backdrop today that I'm announcing my intention to run as an independent candidate for the Mount Pleasant constituency. Now you are campaigning to join the same government and legislature. What makes you think you are going to be different? I think the first thing uh, that would make or that makes me believe that I'd be different is just when one has regard to the role of a member of parliament, which is twofold, the technical competence to drive legislative reform in the House, and also uh, the ability to use your convening power within the constituency to drive development and bring the community together to, to, to do good. I think that, firstly, my technical competence as a, an advocate, as a counsel at the bar, where, which you know I've been in practice for the last 10 years. I've taught law for six years. I have a handle on where the law requires change and development, where laws need to be updated to make them consistent with the Constitution, how the lawmaking process works, and just a firm understanding of Parliament's oversight role over the, the um, executive, which includes obviously some of the work they do through committees in holding um, the government to account and also question time with ministers. Um, in addition to that, I do think the way we run the campaign, I mean, it's been a year-long process mm -hmm. where we've made a number of promises to the electorate pre-manifesto uh, promises, and we've delivered on every single one of them. So I think with that record, um, where you've got good intent and good competence, mm -hmm. that's what makes a good MP. That's the ability to connect with people, to connect with them at their, their point of need, their daily issues. The reason we had so much apathy is because people didn't feel like politics could change anything. Mm. They didn't see how it affected their own bottom line. So I think that we've done a lot to reduce that distance and I think that's what would set me apart. Do you think you will be more effective in your leadership as a politician? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing we've learned even as as we've been campaigning as Zimbabweans because there's such a culture of fear and because the, the political space was so toxic, people are afraid of it. People are afraid of getting involved in anything political, which is why even if you engage schools, if you engage businesses, they'll say, no, 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 we don't do politics. So I think one thing um, that would help, especially as a, a local representative, is having that mandate from the people so that when you go to them with a project, it's not a partisan political thing. Mm -hmm. It becomes a community issue. So I do think that being in politics gives you a, a measure of legitimacy, a measure of having the mandate, and some sort of backing to support the work you wish to do with the community. And it also makes people feel a bit safer, mm -hmm. that you're not just some random person with some weird motives, you know, mm -hmm. running around complaining and trying to do things. So sometimes it's easier for people when you say, look, I'm the parliamentarian. It's my job to represent you. And in order to represent you, I need to have a strong connection with you so that I can understand your issues and be an effective voice for you in the House. Um, I do think it would help your leadership. And also what politics forces you to do mm -hmm. 
because at the end of the day, it is a game of numbers, a game of votes, is that it forces you to meet people consistently. It forces you to go out into the depths of the community and see what people are going through, hear what people want, and just have a handle on you know what the daily life of people who sometimes live a different reality from you mm-hmm. are going through so i think it does help you with your leadership because leadership is about understanding mm-hmm. it's about understanding and connecting with the people you wish to lead your campaign ecosystem um, actually incorporates several initiatives trainings and chicken rearing um, business training you also have um, which provides microfinancing yes. And yes. this is a lot of moving parts. Yes. When you began, was this the vision or has it been iterative? Have you been learning as you've been going? So the first thing that we did uh, before we went onto the ground was we told ourselves that we don't want to be prescriptive in this campaign. You know, we've got all sorts of wild ideas about what should happen, but we really want people's buy-in. And in order to get people's buy-in, we really need to go into the community and find out what people actually want because you might go to them saying you know this is a great idea and you'll find that that's not what they want Mm. so we're able to go in and uh, you know in the pre-manifesto outreach phase the very first phase of the campaign we just wanted to listen what do you want what do you understand by the term mp what do you expect to see what's disappointed you in the past and that is what informed our manifesto our manifesto was you know, when we when we drafted it was a plan of action of how we're going to move from June last year mm-hmm. to July this year, the time of the election. And we said, look, we want to sell a vision that people that people can identify with and that people actually like because that's the only way you can get them to participate. Um, and so all of our initiatives have been informed by what people told us that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Now, along the way, there, there have been some tweaks because what we said to ourselves when we started was that this manifesto is not cast in stone. You know, if we get more feedback as we go, we'll improve. If we see something is working really, really well, we'll do more of it. If we see that something's not working, we're going to cut it out. So it's been a constant process of listening, hearing, encouraging feedback, encouraging, I mean, you spoke of criticism earlier, Mm. encouraging people to say, you know what, this bit we don't like, you know, or this way of engaging is not effective and really listening to people and, you know, adapting constantly to what people's needs were and adapting to the various demographics we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been inspiring, you know, our implementation of the manifesto over the last year. And one thing that if we are elected, we'll continue to do is to engage people constantly it has to be a constant process mm-hmm. a constant journey of feedback hearing listening and implementing tell me about your experience with the yellow campaign for instance you guys are doing you have a team of volunteers that go door to door and i understand you also do the door to door campaigning yes. um so but what has been your experience and what is the feedback from your door to door campaigning so um one thing that we said right at the beginning of the campaign is that we're going to do everything we can to connect with people now from our experience at this flag we had a strong ability to handle the internet and get online engagement 
engagement going. But what we realized very quickly is the need to translate on online engagement into engagement on the ground in terms of having some name recognition going, getting people understanding um, what we're trying to do. And our vision at the end of the day is to introduce a new style of politics into Zimbabwe. You know, we're not naive uh, at the task at hand, but we do want a politics that's more people-driven, that's more issue-driven, and where people are genuinely competent about the work that they're supposed to do. So it's about selling that vision to an electorate that's not used to that sort of politics, an electorate that's used to getting a cup of sugar or a cup of rice um, mm. in order to, to get a vote, students who are used to getting $10 in order for you to vote for them. It's about explaining to them and empowering them with the knowledge that, look, the next five years depend on the decision you're going to make here. Mm -hmm. um, make a decision based on your long-term interests as opposed to the interests of now today because once you've had that cup of rice and once you've cooked it, that's the end of the matter. But you've got a whole five years to to go through and surely you'd like politics or a political system that allows you to be empowered enough to buy your own rice through the door-to-door -door campaign first of all we're able to get knowledge amongst the constituency members about who actually falls within the constituency okay. so whether it was going to Avondale Kensington Strathaven Gunhill Alex Park Vainona these are all neighborhoods that are outside uh, Mount Pleasant neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it was about bringing awareness to those residents and saying, look, do you know that you're a Mount Pleasant constituency? We've got a new candidate. She's not a political party candidate. She may be used to just seeing and hearing about MDC and ZANU-PF. Mm. This is what she stands for. This is her manifesto. Uh, we started building neighborhood cells uh, and getting people you know, involved in some of our projects, which is partly why we have things like the soccer tournament where all these neighborhoods can come together you know, as a single constituency mm -hmm. and you know, share ideas, play a game of football. Their kids are on bouncy castles and you know, just getting some community spirit doing spirit going, um, planting trees in different areas, getting a cleanup campaign going, and really bringing together the different sections of the constituency together. So when we're able to go door to door, we're able to meet a different demographic mm. from the demographic uh, that comes to public hearings, the demographic that you'll see in your ordinary you know, professional life, the demographic you'll see at the university. It was just a completely you know, new way of engaging with people, speaking to them, meeting them, and saying, look, this is what we plan to do. We'd like to sell our vision to you. Um, you know, please be interested, or we'd like to invite you to come on board yeah. the said vision. Yeah. yeah. Has the message that you've been giving people resonated? I think it has. Yeah. Uh, I think it has. Uh, obviously, you know, I, with, with the campaign, we've said we will leave no stone unturned. We take absolutely nothing for granted. But if I'm to measure the progress mm -hmm. that we've made from the day we started, the time we started in uh, late June 2017 to the progress we've made now, going from a virtually unknown entity to an entity that people can recognize and identify with and buy into. You call a meeting and hundreds of people come. You know, you ask for volunteers and you've got a ton of yellow shirts on the streets. Mm -hmm. You know, you ask professionals to get involved and doctors, specialists, physicians, pediatricians are willing to come on board. You run a legal aid clinic and, you know, lawyers spend their billable hours, you know, working on that. All that sort of thing for us um, fortifies our view that you know once you are able to inspire hope and a thirst for change people do come together mm. people do at the end of the day everybody wants a constituency 
a community, a neighborhood that functions. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not functioning as best as it can, people want, you know, ideas, people want solutions, people want to get involved. They're looking for a wholesome platform that will allow them to also serve. Uh, so I do think the campaign has made great progress in as far as that's concerned. And one of the things that we're extremely proud of is that we've managed to target all sorts of demographics. Mm -hmm. You know, the grassroots, we've spoken to students, businesses, residents, homeowners, you know, everyone, the man on the street, those who are, you know, vending for a living, the entirety, you know, of the community uh, has been involved and included. We've done a lot of work with um, disability rights and trying to make the campaign more accessible. You know, we've done a lot of work to make the manifesto, you know, available to and accessible to people with disabilities, including the blind, you yeah. know, people who are deaf. All that mm -hmm. sort of thing uh, shows us that, you know, we're doing good. We've had a number of media houses and NGOs get in touch with us to try and find out, you know, what we're doing. We've had other political parties. Um, I won't say steal our ideas. <laughs> I'll say <laughs> borrow, copy, borrow. <laughs> we don't mind at the end of the day, mm -hmm. so long as we've managed to vaccinate the political culture and be right. an inspiration to other people to do more of the sort of thing we're happy. Mm -hmm. You know, that in and of itself is success. Let's move on to the state of women in politics and Zimbabwe in general. Yes. What is your vision for this country? So my vision for this country is a situation where if a woman stands up to raise her voice politically, the first thing people do is scrutinize what she said as opposed to scrutinizing her identity. Um, there have been problems with women participation in politics as this you know, year has shown. But I choose not to be a victim about it. Uh, I choose to raise my voice notwithstanding. Where, you know, people have failed to create space or give us space, we've built our own space. We've created our own uh, space. And I, I'd encourage all women to do the same. You know, instead of investing time moaning about not having mm. space, let's, let's see what we can do to raise our voices. And I think what I'm very happy to report is the fact that once people see that you are competent, that you speak sense, just like in the corporate world, they quickly get over the fact that you so happen to be a woman. Uh, and, you know, obviously, trolls will exist regardless of who you yes. are, regardless of what you do. So, obviously, people will take digs, you know, at your marital status. People will say, you know, we're, this is not a woman's job and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's important that we treat that as water off a duck's back and focus keep the conversation focused on what's important, mm -hmm. which is, you know, building a Zimbabwe that's got more freedom, that's got more fairness, that's got more opportunity, and that allows people to thrive and live their best, their best lives. When you win the seat for Mount Pleasant. Fingers crossed, we take nothing <laughs> for granted. What is on your legislative? Do you have five items on your legislative oh, agenda? absolutely, yes. I've got more than five, but I'm happy <laughs> to focus on the five most important. Yeah. So, one of the things that you'll notice or that I'm familiar with as a legal practitioner is that there's some key legislation that is up for review, including the Companies Act, 
the Labour Act and the Banking Act. Mm. Now, there's some very technical issues that need to be dealt with in all those pieces of legislation that I'm very keen on, you know, contributing on adding my voice to, mm -hmm. because I've seen how legislation, for example, Act Number Five of 2015 of the Labour Act, which changed the Labour Act following the Zuva judgment that allowed termination on notice, mm -hmm. how the amendments that Parliament introduced have been completely ineffective for both employers and employees. Yes. And, you know, it's riddled with grammatical errors, with procedural mm -hmm. inconsistencies. And all of this, to me, betrays a legislature that's not doing its job, that's not reading, that's not understanding, that's not going back to the stakeholders that are involved to get their input. And that really needs to be worked on. Secondly, and maybe this should have been first, um, you know, all of our legislation needs to be updated so that it's consistent with the Constitution. Right. There is a strong need, I mean, legislation across the board, from the criminal code, mm. um, the Citizenship mm -hmm. uh, Act, the Children's Act, lots of legislation, yes. even our marriage laws, are not are yet outdated. consistent yeah. with the Constitution. So you've got all these amazing rights that are constitutionally protected, and the legislation in which, that, in which they're supposed to work simply does not support uh, that. The third thing that I would uh, find very important to do is we've got a lot of what's known under law and administrative law is delegated legislation. In other words, the statutory instruments, the regulations that mostly ministers pass. And because it's the executive creating this legislation, mm -hmm. and because there's so much of it, there's often not enough scrutiny of it. And so, for example, you get um, a ban on imports, for example, right. uh, SI 64 of 2016, and nobody is checking whether the minister in exercising those powers is actually operated within the parameters of the enabling act as he is required to do by law. You have all sorts of uh, executive officials also, you know, acting outside the powers that parliament gives them. So, for example, the ban on cryptocurrency where mm. the Reserve Bank uh, governor extended his powers. That sort of thing is something that really, really uh, interests me. Another thing that I'd like to champion in as far as I can is, you know, laws that affect women. And this is a range of stuff from family laws, mm. your, your marriage laws, uh, updating those as well to take into account uh, some new realities, but also other things, uh, you know, women undergo all sorts of things and I know in the in the in the British House of Commons right now, there are laws against, uh, they're debating laws on stalking, laws, laws on cyberbullying, laws on, mm. um, you know, revenge porn, that sort of thing, you know, mm. making that, um, you know, something of focus, really trying to get into or t make the legislation take into account the social realities that women go through. Finally, you know, there's no doubt that the law is always outpaced by technology. True. So one of the things that I hope to champion if elected is making sure that our laws are up to date with technology. And this, this involves a wide range of things from, you know, the fact that our defamation laws don't take into account things like extraterritorial defamation and mm -hmm. other, other jurisdictions have looked at the sort of thing. So, for example, if you're defamed by ZimI, which is, you know, housed in the UK, um, domiciled in the UK, how do you, you how know, do you, yes, how, do you ex that. how do you pursue a, a right of action in that regard? Uh, things, for example, like cryptocurrency, where our legislature and 
be executive, don't understand how it works, mm -hmm. don't understand how the technology can be regulated. Borrowing from jurisdictions that have worked walked this path before, you've got the examples of Japan. You know, mm -hmm. Japan views cryptocurrencies as a currency, and yes. the US, mm -hmm. you know, they view cryptocurrencies as a commodity. So it's mm -hmm. about debating as a Zimbabwean legislature which model are we going to go for? Are we going to come up with a new one, and why? Making sure the laws are, are rational. Have you had an opportunity to look at the cybersecurity bill? I have. Now, mm. and, and the danger with that sort of legislation yes. is that it's always got this overlay of a political discussion, mm. which often uh, uh, ensures that the technical issues that will play out in a criminal court, for example, are left out. The, the added problem with um, the cybersecurity bill, cybercrime bill, as it stands right now, is that it's inconsistent with the Constitution in, an in a number of uh, respects. So it's important when uh, reforming laws and creating drafting legislation like that to ensure mm -hmm. that you bear in mind all the rights the intersectionality of all the rights concerned. So instead, you know, instead of creating one problem mm -hmm. while trying to solve another, you look at the intersectionality and you ensure that you know, why, while trying to prevent cybercrime or what you believe right. to be cybercrime, you're not infringing or you're balancing that against people's right to privacy, mm -hmm. people's right to make certain choices mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing. So because these are things that really get my juices flowing. <laughs> <laughs> can I can tell. <laughs> I, I do think yeah. I've got something to add. And I, what I'd really like to encourage the electorate mm -hmm. is this, that you know, when you, you have a legislature, the primary role of an MP is to make laws. Mm. So make sure when you're scrutinizing and deciding who you're going to vote for in whichever constituency, whichever part of Zimbabwe, you're, you're talking to someone who knows what the role of the law is, someone who you know, understands the lawmaking process, someone who can read a bill, you know, and by yeah. that I'm not saying that you should have lawyers. No, mm. no, no, not at all. You know, these are skills that can absolutely be learned. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got people in commerce who can absolutely pick up these skills very quickly. Um, so I, I, I do think that needs to be worked on. And just one more thing, Upenu, sure. that I forgot to say on law reform. Mm -hmm. Our tax laws need reform. Uh, wow. Zimra, our commissioner of taxes, has far too much power to garnish you know, the accounts of a mm. business and to completely hamstring a business. That's something that parliament needs to navigate. That's How do true. you balance the government's need to, you know, make sure it collects mm -hmm. revenue with the, the private interests and rights mm -hmm. of corporates and, and business persons? Well, listen, if you're saying you're going to lower PAYE, <laughs> well, then, I'll you move know, to your <laughs> constituency to vote. It's something that certainly must be debated, yeah. and not only debated, but debated at a, a technical level. The difficulty that we found with Parliament over the last you know, number of cycles is the fact that Parliament has become a rubber stamping mm. um, you know, forum where people just rubber stamp whatever it is that comes from the sponsoring ministries. You never have legislators sponsoring their own bills. We don't have private members' bills with the results that you know, yes. legislation is not only outdated, but it's ill-suited to the lived realities that we encounter on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about legislators in Parliament, particularly, especially um, women legislators. Yes. So as you're aware, the majority of women legislators in this current Parliament were proportional representative yes. um, legislators. And yesterday, uh, Timba Mliswa got into trouble for attacking them for not saying anything.
How do you feel about proportional representation? Okay. Um, as a general principle, I'm not always keen on quotas mm. because what they can sometimes have the effect of doing, sometimes, not all the time, is um, filling up spaces for their own sake. Right. And also it creates a perception, especially amongst male legislators, that look, you women who are sitting there were just put on a list. You didn't have to campaign or fight for this. You've mm. got nothing to offer, which is something that's typified by what Timber Mlees was said. That said, you know, I think what was intended by the legislature when they introduced proportional representation was to try and encourage more women to get involved um, in the lawmaking process and to join parliament and so on, um, and to try and make it natural to see women in the house and to see them you know, participating in committees in the, the formal, the various stages of, of the lawmaking process. Has it been successful? I think some research needs to be done. Mm. There also needs to be some very serious introspection uh, and just by society as to how uh, toxic the political space can be for women. So, for example, violence. Mm. You know, if, you're, if you have to go through a whole violent episode before you become an MP, yes. lots of people, male and female, mm -hmm. but more f female because, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes if a big youth guy is going to come and punch you in the face, I mean, what are you, you going to do? Well, people are threatening worse than being punched. Exactly. I mean, rape oh, is absolutely. a very tangible absolutely. threat for women. Yeah. So we have to work on that. Sexual mm. harassment. The fact that, you know, and I've spoken to a number of women in political parties who just complain that, you know, before I even open my mouth, mm -hmm. you know, the next guy is hitting on me. The person who's in charge of the elections directorate is hitting on me, is saying that, look, I can hook up Mount Pleasant seat for you if you just do mm. X, Y, Z. So all those things are things that we really need to have an honest conversation about. Yeah. That's not, uh, you know, partisan in nature. We, we look at the parties across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the barriers in place? And you can't say to women who are going to face sexual harassment, oh no, but you're not working hard enough. That's to completely misunderstand the complexity of the issue that they're, they're dealing with. Mm. You know, it's about society genuinely introspecting. Some of the, I mean, I don't care, but I can imagine that there are other people who look at the political space, online bullying the comments that are made and saying, mm. you know what? That, that, I'd I've seen not get involved. some of the ones that you faced, especially yep. on Twitter. Do yep. you have a husband? If you had a husband, do you have a husband? Would, and those are some yes. of the more polite ones, you know. They're, yeah. they're, they're some nasty ones. I don't care. I, I mm -hmm. find it, you know, interesting that, you know, this is what our society sometimes thinks. This is what people think is an acceptable mm. mode of engagement. This is, and you know, uh, and I'd like to emphasize that, you know, whenever I'm online and offline, you know, my views aren't infallible. People must yes. disagree 
if they believe they they don't agree with me and this is whether you support me or not you must be able to say oh, hang on fuzzy <laughs> you know this is problematic and then we back and forth and then i explain you come round or i come round mm. and we have a, a respectful form of engagement that sort of political culture is more likely to attract um a certain kind of right. uh, of person and also you know let's let's try and see what we can actually do within the political parties within parliament itself to make the space more friendly also i think more training needs to go into the process mm-hmm. and you know timber says that a whole lot of women aren't talking a whole lot of men aren't talking either that is true. you know our problem really is a competence level it's not a competence problem it's mm-hmm. not a gender problem so the problem is our mps don't know what the role their roles are uh-huh. with the result that you know those who do speak sometimes speak out of turn mm-hmm. those who don't speak sometimes are afraid or sometimes just don't understand what's being discussed or mm-hmm. you know the culture in their political parties is that you first seek permission before you can make a submission or you stand up as a woman to debate you know an interesting piece of tax reform and people are just Mm, you know, quiet. No, not not quiet. <laughs> yeah. uh, attacking you. You know, the house ah, has got that, that ah. free speech thing going, and people yeah. are calling you all sorts of things. You know, one needs only to look at what <laughs> what abuse Kupe had to go through when just walking out of the constitutional yes. court. You know, that sort of thing, and and it comes too naturally to our society mm. to call women very gendered, gendered, sexualized names, and <clears> men <throat> don't really go through that, and all that needs to be. It to does. be interrogated. So it's a very complex issue that would need very nuanced discussion debate in order mm-hmm. for there to be genuine change and dialogue mm-hmm. on the issue. And then as a last question, in 2013, Tindai Beatty claimed to have witnessed blatant vote rigging through the busing in of people in your constituency. And this was captured in a video that went viral. Uh, we saw situations again, particularly in places like Mount, Mount Pleasant, of thousands and thousands of people being passed uh, from rural areas and other places uh, to vote uh, uh, in uh, certain marked uh, constituencies. So this has been a, a very, very tragic uh, election, a very unfortunate uh, election in which once again uh, the people of Zimbabwe uh, have had their vote stolen. It was also, I believe, the subject of a legal process between Jamison Timba yes. and incumbent MP Jason Pasade. Knowing what we know, how do you plan to defend the vote? Great question. Thanks for asking it. I think, you know, again, one of the things from a strategic perspective that we did right at the beginning was to firstly obtain that electoral petition by Jameson Timber and go through it with a fine-tooth comb Mm. and see exactly what the issues were to try and see how we could mitigate against. Now, you know, we we know that we won't overcome every bit of rigging because, you know, this this system is very good at regenerating itself and doing new things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we understand that. But given what we know, we did not want to repeat and make the same mistakes that had been made in the past. So we got a very strong legal team together. Uh, We, we, we're alive to the need to have high voter registration numbers. Mm-hmm. We're alive for the need for that process to be somewhat plausible to ensure that there's no constituency stuffing. Mm-hmm. The next thing that we remain alive to is the need to obtain, obtain the voters' role in advance to ensure that you audit it 
And we've got a team of stats people, a team of auditors who are prepared, ready, again, volunteers for the campaign to go through it with a fine-tooth comb and identify irregularities and draw them to Zek's attention in advance and not wait until, you know, the night before to, mm. to make these claims. The third thing is that, you know, we, we've got an interesting bunch of groups in the in the constituency. You know, you've got your police camps, you've got your security services, yes. and, you know... One school of thought says, you know, why should they vote in Mount Pleasant? Our school of thought is that they're just as important if they live at Morris Depot in the police camps to our campaign as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And we have done our work in as far as reaching out to them is concerned. And we continue to engage them and we continue to sell our vision because we don't want anybody, you know, in the campaign to win Mount Pleasant for change to be left behind. Mm -hmm. So instead of complaining as to why the police officers are part of the constituency, we've changed tack. We're going to them and saying, look, what kind of Zimbabwe do you want? Regardless of who you're going to vote for as president, that person's not going to champion your issues. So there are not a lot of issues, as the police will know, that need to be reformed in the mm. police act. Mm. They'll be alive to those. And they need a strong voice in parliament. They don't need someone who's going to be giving them half bars of soap as they've seen in the past. <laughs> someone who's mm -hmm. going to lie that they're able to build their new houses, mm. someone who's going to lie to them that there's going to be a new road uh, put at, um, built at uh, Morris Depot. That's yeah. not what they need. And, you know, we've been building a relationship with them, speaking to them. You know, I think, you know, oftentimes people focus on what we put out online. There's a whole layer of the campaign that people don't see. So, you know, we're, we're going to do that. On polling day, we're going to ensure that we've got observers, a minimum of two at every single polling station. Those, the training for those observers has already commenced. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're pretty confident that the team that we've put together to observe the elections with the help of the um, you know, various NGOs that have got a mandate to do voter education and that sort of thing is, is going to be competent and able to ensure that nothing bad happens. You know, when all is said and done, we hope that if there are irregularities, because of all these measures, we will have built a record that will enable us to make an electoral petition at the end of the day okay. if irregularities to, do come about um, so that we file a petition and that's how we hope to defend the vote. All of this said, I'd like to encourage every single registered voter in Mount Pleasant constituency that the best uh, therapy or the best remedy against voting is to come out in our numbers, in our multitudes to vote, leave nothing to chance. Every single vote matters. Mm. And, you know, I think we, if we understood just how much our daily lives are affected by legislation, by the political culture, by the people who are sitting in council, we'd be a lot more serious about, you know, whether or not we vote and who we vote for. Make sure you know the person. You know, obviously I encourage you to vote yellow, but if whoever it is you decide to vote for, mm. make sure they're good reasons and it's someone who serves your interests. Don't vote to serve someone else's interests. Vote in the name of your interests and in the interests of the generations to come. Thank you. I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much, Opinion. It's been such a yeah. pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for freeing up a little bit of your time Thank for you. us. And Thank you. good luck in the campaign. Thank you very much.